0: I was thinking of uh, when Peter made his great pronouncement to the Lord, you know, others may leave you, but I won't. And, you know, he told him, you're going to deny me three times this very night. It it disturbed him, but as the the verses go on, he immediately says, you know, don't let your hearts be troubled because I've prepared a place for you something that can change you, something that will eliminate all the false pronouncements. And you're going to see yourself for who you are, but uh, uh, I've got a place. Amen. You can make it. And uh, I'm not sure which came first, the chicken or the egg here, but for some reason other than the last two days, I was uh, taken back very, very, vividly to the day that I was leaving Austin, Texas. I didn't know where I was going. This is, you know, in coming to God. And, uh, it was so amazing to me that I went back down to the university one last time. I I, I don't know where I was headed. I thought I was headed to Canada. I, I it would have been, uh, Definitely out of the frying pan into the fire type thing my my life had been destroyed by my will and uh but I'd come to to believe that Jesus existed. I've told others I did think he lived on Jupiter, but that's all right, you know uh, <laughs> uh, I did believe him and uh and he was dealing with me amen. But just how incredible it was, the instant, I mean, I came back down for the last time, and how fragile it all seems, that I happened to walk by the person who had started the Hare Krishna temple in Austin that I knew, and yet he was, he had a full head of hair, and he was down, sitting down, reading a Bible. And how fragile it was, I could have walked right by. God, how did you do this? How how did it come to pass that something that was a pivot point of my entire life, you know? I'll tell you, I want everybody to know, I'm very thankful I'm here today. And just such a fragile tipping point. And yet in a certain way, like Mark said, It had already been ordained, (laughs) you know. Something had already been set up. And and it wasn't any sort of great discernment on my part or anything like that. The only thing that I can say that allowed it to be significant so much so that it drew my attention is because my will was such an enemy in my life. I hated what... I wanted. I'd seen what it had brought. I saw the havoc in other people's life and my own life. And somehow, another—it wasn't. In other words, it wasn't some positive skill on my part that made that appointment. <laughs> it was the fact that something had been broken inside of me that allowed me to do that. And it, it wasn't, of course. I the, the next night I was in a church speaking in tongues. You know, God. It's unbelievable, you know. Amen. And it wasn't too many years after that that I had a little incident in Atlanta, north of Atlanta. And again, how easy it would have been to have missed the appointment. But it changed my life because it brought me here, you know. And uh, I ran across this is the chicken and the egg thing. I can't remember which came first. I know i felt an incredible god it's still i've got to say i'm still a little puzzled by how it happened that i made those connections as as willful i'd been as bull in a china shop that i'd been you know nonetheless god god led me to the place that he prepared but i had seen in the news, they're, they're coming. I think this is accurate. They're coming out with a movie um, that's all about the, the, the incredible revival that took place in the late 60s and early 70s, of which I was a part. And uh, it's supposed to be a big movie, big movie stars and everything. And, and uh, I guess the thing that hit me, you know, there was, it, it, I think it centers, if I'm not mistaken, in, in what happened in California, the Jesus movement all that sort of stuff and 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 uh there was this guy Lonnie Frisbee that was his real name and uh uh he was apparently incredibly gifted and and, I mean uh people say there, there are there are a lot of people now that will say that the move of God at that time which encompasses um what was released in the charismatic movement, also, you know, is greater than the Great Awakening. Now, you talk about woke. <laughs> we got woke in the right way, <laughs> you know. It was an awakening, you know. They did. They say it is, is, it's the most impactful on, on culture and the world of any of the Great Awakenings. They call it the Fourth Great Awakening. Amen. But what got me is this guy and all these prominent people, Brant Baker and, and all these guys they all lost out with God God you know, what, what was wrong you know, what was wrong with the net you know, now obviously lots of people did make it, amen and, and they're living for God right now, but I'll tell you the majority didn't and uh again i'm just so thankful to be here and I, I thought of some scriptures that uh i feel like are significant in exodus 20 it says then you always said to moses thus you shall say to the children of israel you have seen that i have talked with you from heaven this is right after the ten commandments have been given You shall not make anything to be with me. Gods of silver, gods of gold, you shall not make for yourselves. An altar of earth you shall make for me, and you shall sacrifice on it the burnt offerings, your peace offerings, your sheep, your oxen, in every place where I record my name. I will come to you, and I will bless you. If you make an altar of stone, you shall not build it, of hewn stone for if you use your tool on it you have profaned it now what he says there at the beginning you shall not make anything to be with me and uh, it's significant because what he's saying is oh you're still worshiping Yahweh but you've just got something alongside of it you know he says with me not against me not in place of me, but with me. That it's possible to worship God and yet still have our own choices, our own will alive. And he says, you can't do that. It's going to lead to trouble. Amen. And he says, if you're making that altar, don't you shape it the way you want it. Amen. Now, he's doing all of this. He says, he says the place where I put my name, you know, there there it's going to, everything's going to work out. (laughs) You know what I mean? Amen. And over in Leviticus 17, he says, speak to Aaron, to his sons, and to all the children of Israel, and say to them, this is the thing Yahweh has commanded, saying, whatever man of the house of Israel who kills an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp and it's, it's obvious from the whole context he's not talking about slaughtering something for dinner. He's talking about slaughtering for sacrifice, some sort of sacred, ritualistic offering. Whoever kills or in the camp or outside the camp and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer an offering to Yahweh before the tabernacle of the Lord, blood guilt shall be imputed to him. He has shed blood, and this man shall be cut off from among his people. To the end, this is the purpose, that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they offer in the open field, that they may bring them to the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting. He's bringing restriction and definition to sacrifice. And he's saying you've got to bring it to this place, the tabernacle, where my name is. Amen and the priest shall sprinkle the blood, amen, on the altar, amen. And then he says, they shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons. It's like he's saying, if you don't follow this prescription, you're really going to wind up offering your sacrifice to a demon. If it's something that is of our own choosing even if it's alongside and we're trying to worship Yahweh (laughs) it's really the demons. Why? Because what is the very nature of of the devil? Our will. Our choosing. Let's shape this thing the way we want it shaped. (laughs) You know what I mean? And, and, And if we don't bend to his prescriptions it never will put that will that might be going alongside our worship of Yahweh it'll never put it to death because there's only one place that he's prepared that's going to allow us to make it all the way to the end he before we even knew what to pray for he has devised a place it's not specifically geographical although it is that also but it's relational it's being connected into a into an altar of sacrifice that we don't shape that we don't define and of course we're familiar with deuteronomy 12 the first thing he does he says you wipe out all these other altars all these other idols wipe them out amen you shall destroy them he says you shall not worship Yahweh, your God, with such things. Again, the point is, oh, we're, we're worshiping Yahweh. Oh, we're good Christians. We're whatever, you know. But we're doing it our way. We're doing it according to our choice. So he gives the prescription. But you shall seek the place where Yahweh, your God, chooses and five different places in in the, in the next few verses he says the place where Yahweh has chosen and that word seek is it, it means to seek carefully it's not you know casually look around oh God where's the place that you've designated for me God I don't want to shape the altar of my sacrifice God I don't want to to have my little will worship, alongside my desire to worship you, Amen. Where is that perfect place, relational place, where Your Word will 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 make me, fashion me into Your image? And He goes on. You 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 know the you know the the, the scriptures. Because he says, you shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing what what is right in his own eyes. And he contrasts that with the, the place that God has chosen, a place I'm very thankful for. I'd have no other explanation as to why after almost 52 years, I stand here knowing I am more excited right now about what god is unfolding than i was 52 years ago and let me tell you people who knew me back then i was pretty excited (laughs) for as the body is one and has many members but all the members of that body being many are one body so also is christ doesn't say he's like it. He says, so also is Christ. The temple, the many-membered temple, the only place where we can offer a sacrifice that will divest us of all of these ancillary will, worship, desires as we cloak ourselves in the fig leaf of worshiping Yahweh but really have carved out this little place for ourselves, amen. And he goes on, you know, the scriptures here, amen. For if the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, am I not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ears say, oh, you know, man, I really wish I was the eye. (sighs) Is it so much so that we would leave our place that God prepared for us before the foundation of the world? To allow us to discover how to be a perfect expression and and how to to of of his will, amen. Do you see how just a little desire, you know, oh I wish I lived in Montana instead of here. I mean, if that's God's will, that's absolutely fabulous, you know or or I wish I was uh in, or I wish I was starting my own thing <laughs> over here or whatever. Or I wish I uh, had this place in the Bible. Whatever it is. All of that type of thing keeps our will alive. But God has designated a place. And I believe that that revelation that Brother Blair brought to us and honed and established and, and the Word was made flesh amongst us is the distinction between what happened in the most they say the the greatest awakening there ever was and what's happening amen now God has set the members each one of them in the body just as he pleased that word set is the identical in every respect tense whatever as what he says seven verses later and god has appointed these in the church first apostles he's saying here that this thing is composed as he says later on but god has composed the body having given greater honor to the part who liked it amen why is he doing all that to give us a chance to have our will broken to give us a chance, amen, to not be like so many who really, they might have even wanted to do it, but the context wasn't there and they fell away. I am very thankful. I believe it was Sister Helen, Iona Cohn, many became Allensworth. Uh, maybe she was even then. You know, I remember her standing up and saying, when she was dying of cancer, my boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. There's nothing restrictive to the place God has designated for us except to our flesh. Amen, God. If we can yield ourselves completely, not be a foot wanting to be the hand or the eye wanting to be the ear or whatever, or whatever, oh God, amen, we will discover the place he has prepared for us, and that will allow us to make it all the way to the end. Amen, 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 amen. And I'll tell you, I believe, I believe what Brother Simeon was saying there. You know, something is getting uncorked. Amen, and if it's getting uncorked, we need to make sure our will is very corked. <laughs> amen, amen. There's another awakening happening and this time amen it's going to be a temple not made with men's hands and shaped according to men's ideas but it's truly going to be the leading of the pillar of fire and the cloud by day amen amen and it's going to put together a temple amen where people can offer themselves not just in the zeal of the moment but can offer themselves in such a way that all the Worship that's alongside of Yahweh can be put aside and a bride can come forth without a spot or a blemish. Amen? Amen. I say all of that to say how thankful I am. It's a miracle. Amen. And I can testify it's the only way out. Narrow is the gate. Amen. But it is absolutely wonderful when you get through it. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.
1: I immediately thought of Jesus when he commented at length on the ministry of John the Baptist. And he concludes by saying something remarkable. He says, If you are willing to believe it, he is Elijah who was to come. And it's an interesting statement because John the Baptist has already been asked, Are you Elijah? And he has said, No, I am not. So we either have a contradiction in Scripture or we have a nuance and an interpretation that's pretty profound. The people who asked John, are you Elijah? They were not willing to believe it. And so he was not Elijah who was to come. But Jesus said, for those who were willing to believe it, he was the answer. He was what they were seeking. And I think that every prophetic utterance is kind of like that. John the Baptist was a prophet, but every prophetic utterance that is truly from God is kind of like that. It can be as nothing to you, or it can be as the answer that you have been seeking. And I sit here, and I do this often, but I sit here in the richness of God's Word, and I'm amazed at the precision At which God is already speaking through the sister who testified and just what Brother Howard shared. Each one, there is such a provision, there is such a precision to God's word. I don't want any preconception to be in my mind that would prevent me from receiving, from believing and therefore receiving the promise that was to come. Maybe we even just tarry in the Spirit for a minute and just ask the Lord, God, help me to hear if you're speaking something right now, if God is in fact telling us something, you say to yourself, but I already know that and I already believe it, then why is He saying it to us? It must be because there's something we don't know and we don't believe, at least on the level that He would have us know it and have us believe it. I remember standing here at this same lectern Um, In 2009, and I guess that was 14 years ago now, and I remember having a youth meeting, and I don't remember what it was about, somebody might, but I remember that in 2009, this spirit of, of prophetic promise came upon us that we were supposed to pray in the spirit that God would open a door in Israel it was not what the meeting was about at all it was a youth meeting and we began to intercede i don't remember the details of the meeting somebody stood up right over here and testified something and i don't and i remember speaking that and us praying that memory came back to me with poignancy this past week and it just dawned on me oh god you answered that prayer And it dawned on me, oh God, we entered in to something that night that others had begun before our time. But we entered into something that played a role in releasing a miracle on the earth. And that's a wonderful thought, and it's a terrifying thought. Because what if we hadn't? And there are so many instances like that. I remember being a a young child, I don't know if I was eight, maybe eight, nine, something like that, and I was suffering from a terrible ear infection. And those of you who have had those and known what it's like when they persist into your older years, they can be very painful. (laughs) And I was... um, we had this restroom our bathroom had a had two doors it had a front section with a door and then a back section with a door and i, I had both doors shut i was back in the back with my head pressed against the cold tile floor and i was praying and it wasn't a word of a prayer of faith it was a prayer of desperation i was just begging god to give me some relief sometimes your eardrum bursts i've had that and even as an adult, it's not pleasant, but it'll give you relief. But in this case, nothing happened. It, you would have thought it would have happened, but nothing happened. And all of a sudden, I heard the sound like water, and it was as distinct if someone had turned the faucet on. And with that rushing of the water, all the pain just flowed out of my body Completely and i was astonished isn't it funny that when we beg god for something and he does it we're shocked out of our wits just evidencing the depth of faith that we really had when we asked him right and i went running into the living room totally shocked but i didn't know that my dad had been sitting in the living room with my mom and several half a dozen of my siblings And he had been reading a book, it was black with white letters on it, and he had been reading a book, and he just had suddenly laid his book down and started praying, God, do it in Jesus' name. And he didn't know what he was praying for. And right as he finishes that, and he still has his book laying on his chest, I come out and said, God just healed me of my earache. Well, they had prayed for me earlier, he'd actually laid hands on me, and nothing had happened. But he entered into something he didn't even know what he was doing. Now, the next time I got a terrible earache, it was more than a year later. I remember I was laying uh, prone on, on my bed, my ear up. It was the same sort of thing. He came in, and because of the last time, I had a different level of faith. He was wearing a white and black checkered shirt that day. He laid his hand on my ear. Just the warm hand sometimes helped. But he laid his hand on my ear and I believed. And I was instantly healed again. See, I was too young to let my pride and my analysis get in the way of God's grace. That's where God wants us to be. Amen? But that is the same thing as was happening in the youth meeting. The first story I told. God dares us to enter in to grace releasing power grace releasing movement that we don't know where it's going to end up who it's going toward that's how jesus described the kingdom of god you say no 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 Aussie. that's how he described The coming of the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. the kingdom of God. (laughs) To a man who was seeking the kingdom, he pointed him toward the Spirit. And to this man, Christ's depiction was not a promise, it was not hopeful, it was distasteful. Nicodemus has the distinction unlike the disciples, he has the distinction of being the first one to get the clearest depiction of what is to come. And when he gets it, he doesn't like it. He is distastefully put off. Blah. That doesn't sound nice at all. That's a picture of what the will worshiper feels when God invites them to participate in a realm where they don't reign as king he told Nicodemus who was coming seeking the kingdom that he needed the spirit and that the exciting thing about the spirit is it doesn't involve you in its processes well it involves you but it doesn't involve your knowledge it doesn't involve your understanding it just involves your complete surrender and participation When Nicodemus says, how how can I be born again? He says, well, it's like the wind. You don't know where it's coming from. And you don't know where it's going, but you hear its sound. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, this is great. God's going to do something in your life, and you're not going to know where it's going. And you're not going to know where it's coming from. you're kidding see there's a little deranged control freak inside of every one of us and we want christianity we want faith we want grace we want change we want god so long as we can incorporate him into our control freakism but when he stands at the door and says Good news, guys, you're going to completely lose control. I think I'd rather not, thank you. We start backpedaling. The only reason you could do that is if you trust the character of the one taking control. The one taking control. And the only reason you could do that is if you sense the presence of... Of the one whose character you trust you see even in this meeting we can process grace wrongly we can process grace wrongly brother howard is speaking to us what i believe is the flip side of the burden i came with brother howard is saying don't decide how you'll serve Don't choose how you'll sacrifice. Don't decide what you'll do. Let God decide, right? That kind of sounds a little bit like you won't know where it's coming from and you won't know where it's going because you won't be in control anymore. But God will be in control. I came with the idea don't decide from whom you'll receive. I was thinking about it last couple of weeks, shared some with the young people, but I was thinking about how easy it is for us to get pitiful in the house of plenty. Have you ever been pitiful in the house of plenty? Picture this scene of, you know, I don't know, Christmas days, Spread on the table, right? I mean, piles of food, prepared meats, pastries enough to make us all gain 50 pounds in an afternoon, and just heaps. And this poor, emaciated person sitting in the corner, I am so hungry. Most of the feast goers <laughs> would do a double take. Poor you. Um, there is some food out if, uh, if you're serious about that. Um, it, it, there's an irony to it, right? And yet the Bible shows us that we can be those people. That's why Paul uses phrases like to the Corinthians. He tells them the carnal man cannot discern the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. They are spiritually discerned. He says He goes on and he says, I want you to know the things freely given you by God. I've quoted this scripture a lot, but they've already got it. They've already got these gifts from God, but Paul wants them to know what they've got. Somehow they're in possession of powers they don't utilize. They're in possession of answers they don't realize. They're acting pitiful in the house of plenty. Amen? And of course... That takes us to 1 Peter 4 where he says each of you should use whatever gift you have received to minister the grace of God in its various forms. I put various in italics. Does the Bible teach us that we can curate the channels of grace that we want to open and shut down all the channels that we'd rather not get from? Is that, is that possible for us? You see, we sing this song, Gabe sings it. Your grace is enough. And what's the next line? All that I need. Right? Right? You know how it was originally written. There's only one word that we changed. Some songs get a lot more than that. But there's only one word that we changed in that song. And what's the word? More. We changed more to what? All. I was sitting on the front row right there between Brother Warren and, and this brother with my dad. And we were just loving that song. I mean, he starts doing the chords to that song and we start getting excited. And we were just basking in the presence of God and he rings over and said change it God's grace is not more than we need it's sufficient (laughs) and so we changed it from more to all later we talked and he said the Lord didn't say to Paul my grace is abundant for you he said my grace is sufficient I've looked it up and that word means just barely enough just barely enough see if god's grace was abundant or we might even use the word excessive then we could curate we could pick and we like the spread at the table we could no i don't like that no i'd rather not i'll just take that and that and that perfect but he has a spread of grace that if you don't take the whole thing you will die you're going to starve if you don't humble yourself to receive everything God would give you for life and godliness you cut off one channel it's not going to work the body of Christ is irreducibly complex you can't say I want this and I want that and I want this but I don't like that that's like saying I want a liver and I want a heart and I want lungs but leave out the kidneys It's irreducibly complex. You throw out one essential part and you're going to suffer. And there are those parts, those essential organs. You lose one, you're dead. So we're supposed to minister the grace of God in its various forms. Sometimes I I see that we truncate the way we're going to get change the way we're going to get grace we truncate it down to what we think it ought to be those that may be any number of things maybe it's i'm going to read my bible and pray well i got news for you if you think you're going to get all the grace god has for you by reading your bible and praying and doing nothing else you will die in the wilderness you are going to starve to death Because he said God's grace is ministered in its various forms, not in its two forms. Your translations may say in manifold forms, in many forms and ways, the Amplified says. God's grace is a strange and varied thing, and you've got to learn to receive it however it may come. I was thinking about my, my brother Simeon, and I don't think he'll mind the second time, um, but I was thinking about how when he was coming out of prison and dysfunction and brokenness and, and moving toward the fruitfulness and grace that he now enjoys, everything was essential, everything mattered. You know it when you're in that state, and I think about how he undertook the arduous task of fishing. And I thought to myself that I don't know if he would have made it had he not taken fishing so seriously, though I don't know if you'll make it if you take it any more seriously. (laughs) Now I hope some of you are, are scratching your heads and saying, what? Because if you are, you're about to finally understand what I'm getting at. It's possible, no, it's inevitable, that God had a grace for his life actually through that fishing. And had he simply knocked that off and said, it's spiritual stuff today, um, or it's spiritual stuff hitherto, he would have compartmentalized his life into categories that he had decided were spiritual and categories that he had decided were unspiritual, but God has made everything, and he wants to speak and help and grace us through his whole picture of his whole will. I think of of others who who would say, I am seeking an answer from God, but they would say, I am going to pray. I'm going to fast, and I'm going to pray, and that's all I'm going to do, until I get an answer. You know, I have seen fasting be one of the purest forms of arrogant rebellion imaginable to man. Mm -hmm. I've even seen a certain kind of prayer be an expression of disobedience to God. It's the truth. It's the truth. That's why Isaiah or the Lord could say through Isaiah, you're not fasting the fast that I chose but you're fasting the fast that you chose. This is the one I chose that you would fast from your will, I'm paraphrasing, and do what I've told you to do. You see, God's told them to do something. They don't want to do it, but they're willing to do something more extreme against their flesh because in that, they can look more spiritual and holy. God doesn't care a lick about how you look. He wants you to obey. He wants you to do what he's told you to do. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, didn't Jesus say about their prayers? He said, um, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again and again. So they, they had gone to a certain kind of prayer that was actually more abundant, more excessive But it wasn't what god had required this is what isaiah is also saying or the lord through isaiah when he says the sacrifices that you offer are terrible to me he said he who offers grain is like he who offers swine blood and he who offers a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck and he who offers a bull like one who murders a man because they have chosen their own way it's the same exact concept so There's this dynamic, even in spirituality, even in the things of God, where we're constantly trying to tell God what we need and how we're going to get it. This is a damnation. This is a snare, a trap, where that the devil and pride have collaborated to create. And you're not going to get the grace of God until you break out of it. And you say, "I will receive from whomever you send." I will hear if just you speak, no matter who from. You remember that Brother Zach's turnaround came as he has testified, as he was leaving a bookstore and seeing a man in tights and no shirt crumpled on the side of the street and feeling an impulse to speak to him, disobeying that impulse and hearing God rebuke him. And the change was disallowing himself the arrogant luxury of curating what he would and wouldn't obey of God's word. Think about the ways God speaks in the Bible. We're told that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmaments tell of his handiwork. That means the heavens are talking to you. Are you listening? Do you think God is speaking from the heavens amiss? Or is there a grace? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But day unto day pours forth speech. And night unto night reveals knowledge. Can you make it without a humility to look at nature differently? Because there is a word coming to you through that. Can you make it without that word? I don't think we can. I don't think we can. Paul says that God's invisible attributes and His eternal and divine power can be clearly seen in the creation that He has made. God is proving something to you about Himself in the flowers that He has formed, in the trees, in the rivers, in the sounds of the wind, and the birds overhead. Can you live in the cubicle, the the isolation, the encapsulation of your own self and needs, and walk through life deaf to the heavens declaration, blind to the revelation of nature? You see, that doesn't fit in prayer and Bible study. There's a little broader than that. God used a fish belly as the church room to speak to Jonah. Jonah. And God revealed to Jonah his divine evangelistic compassion for all humanity in the withering of a grapevine. God spoke to Balaam through a hehan donkey. And he launched the salvation and Exodus from Egypt. Amidst a scattered herd of stinky goats with a bush that started talking to a man. I'm trying to show you that God's grace comes in various forms. And we've got we to gotta humble down and open our eyes. We've got to believe that a, an answer might hide in a bush that grace might still emerge in the belly of hell or the guts of a fish. God spoke to Samson from the rotting corpse of a dead lion. Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. And he spoke to Ezekiel in the way that he cooked a piece of bread over animal dung. Jesus revealed God's tender care toward us in the lily of the field that he said was more resplendent than Solomon. And he illustrated God's awareness of our needs in the life of a sparrow. A sparrow, a sparrow revealed God's care and awareness of your condition Can we open our minds? Can we open our thoughts? Can we expand our expectations a little bit? God revealed the Messiah as the Messiah on a sleepy fishing trip that got a little bumpy. Didn't he stand up and begin to speak to the wind and waves? And they said, who is this man? The answer to that question was the Son of God. (laughs) Even the wind and waves obeyed him. God called Peter to his evangelistic mission of saving souls by helping him get a bigger catch, a bigger stringer of fish on a particular afternoon. I told you. He provided the temple tax On the other end of a fishing line from a fish's mouth, oh, fish are getting a real score today. That's not the point. He revealed our obligation to love each other by administering God's cleansing word, by scrubbing grime from poor Peter's feet with a towel. You see, there's a kind of person who just isn't going to get it. They sit in their self-made world, with their self-diagnosed conditions and their self-prescribed cures, demanding that God do it and do it now. But then there's another kind of person. Einstein said there are two kinds of people in the world. You have to choose which one you are. He said there are those for whom nothing is a miracle, and there are those for whom everything is a miracle. Those are the only two kinds of people in the world. Everything in this meeting is a miracle. Every word that has been spoken, every song, every prayer is God answering, hearing, helping, coming to you with grace. Everything you encounter for the rest of today is God He created that world so that you would think about him when you looked at the sparrow and when you plucked the flower. He created that world so that in the night you would look up and you would hear speech pouring down from the cosmos into your soul saying that he is great, he is good, he knows you, he loves you, he's going to help you. He answered your prayer through Sister Stephanie's humble comments. answered your prayer through sister Regina's firm foundation song and brother Simeon's word of faith and brother Cassius prophetic utterance. He convicted your soul and told you what the problem was. But can you see grace as grace? Or do you just see sparrows and flowers and thunder and fish guts and nets that are emptier than you wish they were and boats that are tossing around why is this happening if God is around what do you see it's you the grace is in the eye of the beholder do you behold grace that's what I want to be old Jesus exposed his betrayer in the way they dipped soup with bread and he instituted his atoning covenant with a meal of bread and wine. And he unveiled their eyes to his resurrected state, to his resurrected self in the tearing of a piece of wheat bread. And we say God isn't speaking to us. Oh, he's speaking. He's speaking. He's speaking, he's speaking, he's speaking, and he's speaking to us and he's speaking through us a lot more than we realize. Brother Kevin, we met this week, and he told me of a harrowing ride that he took when his flights were canceled from Nashville home during that free snap. And as I listened, I heard how he saw God in everything. God was speaking to him when he started spinning out of control. God was speaking to him when he was going too fast across the bridge because he was distracted by the phone call with a boss. God was illustrating his eternal word in the randomness. Of a scary ride from Nashville to Waco. You talk to people who have just come to God and they heard God and saw God in everything. Nothing was insignificant. It was almost as if they believed there was a King of Kings and a Lord of Lords who was reigning sovereign up in heaven. I mean, who thinks that kind of thing, right? They heard God. They saw God when their keys were locked inside their car. (laughs) God was speaking if it wouldn't start. Brother Gary wouldn't be here if his car had started. He was everywhere. Amen. If you want to get back to a powerful life of victory and faith, get down to a smaller self that perceives the divine, the miraculous, the gracious answer in a whole lot more of life. Thank you, Jesus. I remember thinking back on my life and the sequences that had led to my conversion and asking myself stupid, crazy questions like, if I hadn't started milking, would I have had this conversation? And if I hadn't had that conversation, would I have had this prayer? And if I hadn't had that prayer, would I have given my life to God. I started asking crazy questions like that, but it's not crazy. He has appointed the bounds of our habitation and the exact places of our dwelling so that we would seek after him and find him. Though he's not far from any one of us, for in him we live, we move, and we have our being. Some of us just wake up to it. Well, don't go back to sleep to the grace of that once roused your soul from that slumber of death. Hallelujah. Live a life that wonders if God is speaking. Somebody gives you a good deal on a car, you, you, you have some fortunate thing happen. Ask yourself, God, is there a purpose behind this? Could I miss it? What do you imagine, Lord? That's what it means. It's like so much more than. What Sometimes we enter into things and we are the player and God's using us and we think that we're just the sparrow and we are. But he uses sparrows, so who cares, right? Maybe we're even the donkey, but who he uses donkeys too, so who cares, right? Remember the story of, of the woman with the alabaster jar and how she came in and this apparently was happening very near to the end because when she broke the jar and, and poured it on his feet, She thought she was coming to get help for her big problems. But he causes all things to work together for the good. That means he takes your problems when they turn toward repentance and they actually start working in your favor. (laughs) If you love God and answer the call of his purpose, amen. So he causes it all to synchronize and harmonize and advance his design. God doesn't undo the past. He he doesn't erase the past, but He changes it based on the attitude we have about it. And it changes from one substance to another. It changes from, oh no, that's a dead tree that was once growing in my life, to, oh yes, now that's fuel for a fire that is moving me toward God's purpose. You see how even a dead tree takes on a new form, doesn't it? We could cry over every tree that dies until winter (laughs) and then we bless god for the trees that die that now keep us from freezing to death in these temperatures that's how god changes what is unchangeable he changes it based on our attitude toward him so the woman comes in thinking she's coming for her problem and she was but she was synchronizing harmonizing moving with grace And so it wasn't just her need that was met. Listen to how Jesus felt about her behavior. The Pharisee, Simon, who's also a leper, poor fellow, um, he is disgusted. And so he says, you know, this is distasteful. We don't like this. Don't let this happen. I mean, that's his feeling anyway. He's kind of like Nicodemus in that. But Jesus turns it around and he says, when I came into your house... You didn't greet me. You didn't kiss me. You didn't give me water for my feet. You didn't do any of these things. But he said, she has done all of these things. So she thought she was coming for her need, and she was. And her need was met. But she was also coming with a grace. It's the crazy thing of how failures turn to wood. And you see what I'm saying? How many of us have seen people come from the world? Those from Chalice or others recently, Brother Michael or Enix Simeon, and they're coming feeling like, how can I ever be worthy? I mean, they're so focused on their problems, their brokenness, they need healing, they need help. They're coming, how could I ever be worthy? But what's happening on the body's end is the same thing Jesus was feeling toward that woman. We are feeling like we were kissed. We were cleansed. We were helped. He said, she has anointed my body for burial. There was a grace that was going to come to his life. Peter didn't bring it. John James didn't bring it. His mother didn't bring it. Simon the Pharisee didn't bring it. But some old wretched sinner from the street with an attitude of faith to trust God and see His grace in an unlikely place, she brought it. That's the beautiful thing of how it all works together. She was trying to overcome her embarrassment. She didn't realize that God was actually going to use the very thing she was afraid of doing Because it was so nasty and embarrassing. That was actually going to be the most palpable preparation grace for what he was about to face. Do you see it? You know, something happened when my daughter Tina was just four years old, about five years ago. Granddaddy came home from a meeting, and he was tired. He had spoken the Word of God or whatever, and, and we had had dinner, and we were fellowshipping afterwards, and, and he was sitting there in his chair. And, and a four-year-old came over without any prompting, and I'd never seen her do this before, and she just came over, and his hand was on the arm of the chair, and she laid her cheek on his hand. And she just left it there, she didn't say anything, didn't do anything, just laid her cheek on his hand. And she went away and went and played with her cousins or whatever. And um, he was deeply moved by that. And he told me, he said, you know, God, will sometimes minister a grace through someone who's willing to be transparent to a certain kind of childlike affection. And that grace won't come any other way. But when it comes, you know it's God. And I thought about that and I thought she was able to minister something to him and I wasn't able to minister. And maybe that's because that's how it should be. I'm giving him something else, she's giving him that. and I hold out that possibility. Or maybe it's because I don't have the courage to be as humble and transparent to my own heart, to, to the love that God's already put there. But the child is uninhibited but that's an example and and it it exemplifies grace in an unfamiliar place coming in a different way but it also exemplifies someone who's not living in such a man-made cubicle of preconceptions and presuppositions that they can't believe that the almighty would be expressing something to them In a child laying her four-year-old cheek on your hand. It's not just in what we take, it's what we give to. And we can't contrive these things. They wouldn't be grace then, would they? But we can say, Lord, Lord, make me more transparent. Make me more true to the love you've put inside of me. Make me more aware, more grateful more receptive to grace, all the grace. Grace from here and grace from there. Grace from my parents and my siblings. Grace from the skies and grace from the flowers. Grace, grace, grace. And grace upon grace. Grace in its various forms. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I'm not going to even pretend to give a teaching on grace i've done that before but in this context the antonym i would choose for grace would be striving gear grinding striving in the flesh grace seems perfectly opposite to that it seems like what happens When the wind blows and we don't know where it's coming from or where it's going, but we trust the wind. We trust the presence of the one who's moving. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.